Don't you know that you so wrong, man? You're wrong and here's why. Chris and Greg don't see eye to eye like none of the time. Robert Covington sticks. I don't care what you think. How is LeBron James the king when he's ruining teams? Yo, wrong and here's why. Underdog Sports presents. Yo, wrong and here's why. Underdog Sports presents. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of You're Wrong and Here's Why. I'm Chris Horwardell, joined by Greg Crone. Gregory, how are you? I'm wonderful, Chris. Another another wonderful day. Yeah, we're having some uh, some technical issues today, <laughs> but we're working around it, and uh, I'm excited to get into everything that's going on. I think the biggest thing we have to talk about over the last week is Cam Newton's now a New England Patriot. Uh, it's, I mean, Chris, like... We were supposed to have nice things as an NFL fan this year. The Patriots were supposed <laughs> to be bad. Brady was going to the Bucks and probably going to to fail, no matter what mm. you believe. And it was it was supposed to be nice. And then a guy who's arguably a top ten quarterback in the league when fully healthy signs with the New England Patriots after sitting for essentially a full year. Yeah. <sighs> this this was remarkably predictable, though, in my mind. Yeah, I think I think what did you say? You said you had said it back in April or something March. like that when Yeah. Uh, March. Su- yeah, it, it's it just made sense cuz we got to a point where it was the only opportunity for Cam to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and let's not kid ourselves. There's all this talk that oh, we, it's it's a quarterback competition between Cam Newton and Jarrett Stidham. Yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a quarterback competition between the 2015 NFL MVP and a guy who was you know, a borderline mid-round draft pick a couple of years ago. Yeah, the, anybody who wants to mask this as a quarterback competition is completely, uh, completely kidding themselves. Um, the job's Cam's. It's it's barring injury or some sort of unforeseen issue. Cam Newton's the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. And what a what a genius move by the Patriots too. First of all, it's the most Patriot move ever as. The announcement comes only hours before the NFL announces their punishments from the Patriots from the sideline report, the sidelined, um, the, 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 the it, filming, filming, thank you, words, the sideline filming uh, last year. They lose a third round pick. They get fined $1.1 million. And uh, that gentleman is not allowed to uh, not allowed to work in the NFL anymore. He's already been fired by the Patriots, even if he was something of a scapegoat. But they managed to change the news cycle and have it be about how this is a positive for them rather than a news cycle about them being punished. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't have you couldn't have played the PR uh, game any better than than this. I mean, I think the punishment for the taping stuff has been completely overlooked because now everything is Cam Newton, Cam Newton, Cam Newton. I mean, it's it's a masterclass in how to make your franchise look good. Let me let's be perfectly honest. Are you speaking of the punishments? Are you a little surprised that it was only a third round pick in the 2021 draft, given the fact that this is a team that has a history of, let's say, bending the rules? Uh, sure. Not not entirely, because I think these incidents are so, so significantly different uh, outside of obviously the videotaping. The videotaping mm. is the part that's the same. Yeah. But but, but they were videotaping practices and. and yeah game plans and this is you're videotaping a sideline on game day i don't know how much i'm sure you get some some stuff out of it but i think obviously it's a little bit more advantageous to to be able to get things out of practice than than actual like game day stuff i don't know you're you get to see play calls coming in and that's a huge benefit because theoretically you can break that stuff down and you know you then know what these teams use for their hand signals and for their play calls yeah, but you're also masking a lot of that stuff. Uh, I mean, mm. I guess you could you could really, really, um, I guess, dive into the tape and try and figure out patterns and things like that for, for different hand signals and whatnot. But I think that's a little more painstaking. I think practices, these guys are a lot more open. They're a lot more open with their discussion, a lot more open with what they're talking about, plays, options, opinions, things like that, versus, you know, the guy holding up the sign that has a cheeseburger uh, French fries, <laughs> um, the Warner Brothers logo, and mm. a picture. Copyright of like, infringement, by the way. Yeah. Eh, listen, some, that would be the least of their worries at that point. <laughs> Probably true. So 
How do we think Cam Newton and Bill Belichick will get along? And Cam Newton and Josh McDaniels, who's a, a heck of a personality in his own right. I mean, I don't, I don't really remember Cam ever being a problem for the coaching staff in Carolina. Um, obviously, it's different because of the the Patriot way, the all that BS. Um, yeah. I, I think though, I think especially what what was the actual contract signing? Was it one year? Is it two years? I don't. It's remember it's, the it's one year for up to seven point five million dollars, heavily incentivized, basically a minimum contract with a ton of a ton of incentives. Yeah. So you're talking about a contract year. You want to you want to give the best impression possible to the remain, uh, to the rest of the league and also to the Patriots to give them a reason to give anyone a reason to give you another big contract. That's that's the goal here. So I think that we're not going to see a ton of waves coming out of the Cam Newton camp. And and like I said before, I don't remember a ton of waves happening prior to uh, to this in Carolina from a from a from a coaching staff and on the field issue. Uh, it's obviously Cam's relationship with the front office in Carolina deteriorated rather quickly, mm-hmm. um, which led to to his release and ultimately ending up now in New England. But uh, I, I think I think they're going to mesh perfectly fine. It's sort of no nonsense, obviously, is what the New England always appears to be. And I don't think Cam's going to buck that trend. And this is yet another one of the reasons this is just a genius move by the Patriots, and it pains me to say that. But can, when you consider that he's probably not going to hit all of those incentives, let's assume the Patriots pay Cam Newton you know, $4.5, $5 million this year. You know, That's basically on par for what the uh, the Saints are playing paying Jameis Winston to be a third string quarterback and it's you know half of the money Chase Daniel is making this year an incredible deal and they lose that third round pick next year you could very easily recoup a second if Cam plays really well and then goes sign somewhere else uh in terms of the comp pick yeah it's it's it it stinks it stinks that they are this good at um sort of manipulating everything that they have uh, on their plate, you know? Um, they they are able to always maximize anything that they do from, from an option standpoint. I mean, they did it for years with Brady, and he took, you know, lower money every year so they could use more money across the rest of the team. It's just another example of, of being a smart franchise. There's a reason why they have su- sustained success for 20 years. It's not just because of coaching. It's not just because of players. It's because of savvy front office moves. And this is just another one that's up there. How do you expect the Patriots offense to look? You know, this is an offense that just had Tom Brady for the past couple of decades, but you have a, basically the polar opposite type of quarterback in Cam Newton. Now a guy who is certainly more of a dual threat than the, you know, 5.12 at the combine 40 of, of Tom Brady, is this going to be, does Cam have to adjust to the Patriots or do the Patriots have to adjust to Cam? I think, I think McDaniels is going to, is going to try to adjust to, uh, to Cam's strengths. I mean, you almost have to at a certain point. It's, it's impossible to ig- like ignore the fact that Cam is clearly a much better athlete than Tom Brady. He can move much better. He's not 40 years old. Yeah, You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot that, that goes into into that, and I think that McDaniel's is—he's one of those guys with, with such a, a a good offensive mind that he's going to be able to maximize that that talent that Cam has. Um, I'm not going to say that he's going to go full option quarterbacking, but uh, it, it's definitely going to be—it's definitely definitely going to be—you're going to see more more movement out of him, um, and and getting him out of the pocket. It's not going to be just straight pocket passing like uh, like we've seen for, what, 20 years with the Patriots mm-hmm. and Tom Brady. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a minute since uh, they've had another starting quarterback than Tom Brady, well, at least an actual named starter rather than injury replacement. <laughs> now, I think people forget that over the first eight years of his career, Cam only missed five games. Obviously, he's been beset with injuries over the last year and a half, but... What that blinds people to is the fact that in 2018, before he got hurt, he was having what it would pretty easily be considered his best passing season of his career. So I I do think that ability is there. Oh, completely. I I mean, he's he's got phenomenal arm talent. I mean, he made guys who 
were not very good, look very good uh, on the outside down in uh, down in Carolina. Uh, so he can definitely get it done through the air, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. I also think, um, you know, guys get he, – he gets tagged. I think one of my friends was like, oh, well, you know, Cam's only 29, but he's got a 67-year-old body. Mm-hmm. I don't really believe that. I think that's a, a pretty big stretch to make. Um, I, you know, you talk about a guy that – that sure did he miss the last year year and a half because of a shoulder than a foot uh, injury? Yeah, but I mean injuries happen. That's part of football. It's a physical sport. That doesn't mean that he's injured for life. That's not that's not really how it works. Donovan right. McNabb broke his foot, went to four NFC Championship games after that. Donovan McNabb blew his ACL out. Uh, and went to an NFC Championship game after that. Guys, guys do this all the time. That's just—he's the example I think of, just because it's the the team that I pay the most attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, ben, ben Roethlisberger smashed his face through a windshield of a car on a motorcycle, right? Didn't that happen? And he won Super Bowls after that. Like, I think the best example is Drew Brees. The, you know, yeah. the Chargers—the Chargers don't re-sign him and make the move to draft Philip Rivers. Granted, not in that order. Because they're concerned he's going to have long-term shoulder issues, and all he did was go on to be the leading passer in NFL history. Peyton Manning had his neck fused together and was mm-hmm. still able to cobble himself uh, together to 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 win another Super Bowl. Granted, heavily relied on on defense, missed some games, and and clearly wasn't the same Peyton we had seen, but but got it done nonetheless. I don't think I don't think missing a year and a half is the the biggest the biggest blow to Cam Newton. Um, from moving forward. Yeah. If, I anything, the, I th- if anything, I think it helps, you know, sure. you're getting I mean, he, rest on that body. He looks like he's in great shape right now, but I love when we talk about Peyton Manning and those two years in Denver are what made Adam Gase the, the hot coordinator and hot coaching candidate that he was taking first Peyton Manning and then Tim Tebow led teams into the playoffs and, and doing well. It's wow. it's amazing that uh, you forget about the Brockett ship, Brock Osweiler. Oh my! He made Brock Wa- he made Brock Osweiler like seventy five million dollars. Yeah, but- and <laughs> Osweiler, man, talk about overrated. Then he goes to Houston, and Houston trades a second round pick just to get rid of him. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> not the best. <laughs> it was funny about this Cam situation, though, is. He has been in a situation most of his career where, well, most of his career is not fine, but fair. But over the last, over the last like three or four years, where there just wasn't a lot of talent around him in Carolina, and now the talent in Carolina is is there. You know, they have an emerging star receiver in DJ Moore. They have maybe the best running back in football in Christian McCaffrey. And he has to go to a Patriots team that now lacks talent on offense. Yeah, he's certainly he's certainly gonna have a little bit to be desired uh, at receiver. I think if you're the Patriots, you have to hope that Nikhil Harry takes a big step. Obviously, you still have Edelman, despite him getting older. That um, they still have James White out of the backfield, which I think really helps. And I think I think having Sony Michelle. Regardless of what you think of him from a productivity standpoint, I think he's still a very, very usable back in the NFL. Um, and I think they can make some of those pieces work. Tight ends, obviously, a huge struggle. I don't know. I don't even know what they've done. They um, drafted two tight ends in the third round. Well, you know, uh, that Bill Belichick, when he gets to drafting tight ends, uh, yeah. he's, he's one for two. Um, Devin, Devin Asiasi from UCLA and Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure he's going to figure out a way. Him and McDaniels are going to figure out a way to get to get this these guys incorporated into this offense. And and Cam can make guys look good. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin was was thought of highly uh, because of Cam. Um, yeah, and then, Kel- then, then Kelvin Benjamin showed up to camp at like 280 pounds. Yeah, exactly. Like, Cam, Cam's made guys look very, very good. Um, despite despite not always having the best talent around them, and I think I think in this uh, this offense with McDaniel's, I think they're going to be fine. And that's the most disheartening part about the Cam to the Patriots situation. I would put good money on Edelman's numbers dropping by at least twenty five percent this season, though, because Cam is a guy who likes to attack the field vertically. He's not a, a dump it down into the slot guy, and that's where Edelman makes his living. 
Yeah, and I also think that um, I also think that Brady always saw Edelman as a safety net. Sure. Um, if that especially post Gronk. Oh, of course. If that first read wasn't open, you knew where the ball was going, and that was going to Julian Edelman for sure. And um, I think that that's certainly certainly feasible to think that his numbers will go down when he's not always going to be that check down option or he's not always going to be that primary target based off of just the routes that he runs. Yeah. Now on the flip side of that, of course, is a, a guy in Tampa Bay, a 24 uh, year old wide receiver who is the alum an alum of the same college you are. Chris Godwin caught 86 balls last year. I would, assuming he stays healthy if he doesn't catch 110 balls, I would be shocked. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be that safety valve, much like Edelman was in New England. Because um, you obviously know that Gronk's going to get the attention. You know that Mike Evans is going to get the attention. Um, there's, there's only so many D-backs on the field that you can use to double people up. Uh, I think Godwin's a really good, a really, really good, uh, a good choice for, for one of the highest ball catchers in the league this year. Well, Godwin's turned into just one of the best receivers in the NFL in, over the last couple of years. And how did how did we miss on this guy? What, what was what did we not see from Chris Godwin coming out of Penn State that uh, would lead us to believe he was going to be this kind of player? Because you know he was what a third round pick. I think so. I think people get nervous about Penn State receivers. There haven't been there haven't been a ton that take it to the next level. Like Allen Robinson. The, sure, he. Right, but before Allen Robinson, can you name the last one that was unbelievably productive? Jordan Norwood's the only one that comes to mind, and he came out of a class that had three guys who were superstars at Penn State. You know, you're talking about Derek Williams, Deion Butler, and Jordan Norwood. Derek Williams. Wow, I forgot and, about Derek Williams. And they were they were the, the three three headed monster on that Penn State team that, that won the Orange Bowl, I believe. Yeah. Um if I have, if I remember it correctly, in the weird game with Florida State, where Florida State missed like field goals or an extra point or something late in the game, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but th- those out of those three prospects, you know, I think Norwood was the lowest drafted guy, and he had the most successful NFL career and the longest, including a Super Bowl title win with the uh, with the Broncos. I mean. Those other guys didn't pan out, and I don't think Penn State's necessarily had the, the that talent. I mean, obviously, some of that's from the program basically imploding uh, at a certain point with the whole Sandusky thing. Um, but I think people get, get nervous. And, and plus, I mean, Godwin came through, I guess it would have had to have been, cause he's what year three or four in the NFL. Godwin's now? 24 years old. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he came through, I can't remember Penn state's coach's name, but uh, he came Bill O'Brien. On, no, it would have been out. It's the guy they have now, the guy from Vanderbilt, James um, Franklin. James Franklin. There we go. The hell's wrong uh, with you? I don't know, man. It's it's. <laughs> sometimes it's I get confused. Your school. Like I can't I can't think of you know, Godwin coming out of that offense. Franklin runs. I I think that that sort of held him down a little bit. Are, even he's though, taking shots at Trace McSorley. No, I think Trace McSorley was a fine quarterback, honestly. Um, but I think that the the, the numbers weren't necessarily the flashiest, uh, which mm. I think hurt Godwin, but he clearly has the talent. He's clearly proved it. Uh, yeah. And that's why I think he's, I think like kind of like you, that he's going to be one of the more important pieces to the Tampa offense. Well, here, I'm looking right now at the current, the current Penn State alum in the NFL. There are four wide receivers in the NFL right now that are Penn State alumni, and I'm phrasing that very specifically. Do you know all four? Are you talking about guys including this year? I'm talking about current. Uh, there are no players who would be uh, rookies this year on this list. So Godwin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, KJ Hamler. K- KJ, and uh, again, no rookies. Oh this yeah, year. no rookies. Sorry. Uh, then no, Chris. I can't name any of the other ones. Well, we we got at, we got Allen Robinson, Deshaun That's Hamilton true. from the Broncos a couple of years I, ago. You know what? I should have known that one. And this is the one that I said I was phrasing things very specifically because this other guy who was a New England Patriot for quite a while is uh, was on oh, the Penn State I know lacrosse who you're team. About. <laughs> Chris Hogan. 
Chris Hogan, correct. What a, a super weird story. Also, Derek Moy, a free agent as of right now. Uh, this is actually a good group. Like, you know, I, I don't hate these guys. Uh, Tom Bahali is a free agent. Obviously, injuries is an issue there. Mike Maudie was another guy. Issues there. Evan Tom Bahali age huh? has to be a, an issue there. At this point. Yeah. Well, I I just mean at the beginning, Maudie was, ah. uh, you know, the, it seems like Penn State linebackers, for whatever reason, just keep getting banged up and banged up and banged up. For I can't. There was the guy on the Bills whose career ended. Paul Puzlozny? No, 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 no. He was uh, like a fourth round pick. He was an outside linebacker. It'll come to me at some point. But he he, he had a major, uh, major injury. Um, Nathan Stuper, another guy who was hurt. And I, lo- I always liked Anthony Zettel. I was always an Anthony Zettel fan. I'm surprised he hasn't found a way to stick around as like a rotational defensive end. Yeah. There's something about that. I mean, those linebackers, as good as they are at, at Penn State, they sort of get to the league in, in the last couple of years. I mean, the best one, I think, has been Navarro Bowman, right? And obviously, I think he's out of the league at this point. Um, yeah. But... But outside of that, uh, injuries injuries seem to always weirdly catch up with everybody. You had what Dan Connor, uh, Puzlozny when I was there, and even the guys past that that you mentioned. Um, just injury riddled careers that that sort of never work out. Even to some extent, Lavar Arrington didn't quite have yeah. the career that we expected. Uh, yeah, there's Dan Connor, Shane Conlin, Ron Crosby, Chris Devlin, Mark D'Onofrio, Chris. Drazanovich, John Ebersol, uh, Reggie Givens, Keith Gaganis, Dave Graff, Don Graham, Jack Ham, Gerald Hodges. There's a there's mm. a good name. Josh Hull, Tom Hall, uh, Terry Killens. Where is the guy? Larry Lubin. And we're gonna read them all. Justin Kerpakis, <laughs> uh, Jim Laslavic. Apologies to any of these guys. Aaron Mabin. Oh boy, that was a, that was a thing. Quintus McDonald, uh, Lance Mel, Rich Millay, Matt Millen, there is a name you know, Jim Nelson, Leo Noble, Ed O'Neill, Dennis Oncaz. You said Ed O'Neill, and I immediately thought Al Bundy. It was actually Al Bundy. I know. People people don't know that. Uh, That's funny. Lou Palazzi, Chet Parlanovich, Andre Powell, Paul Pazlozny, Scott Radovich, Ed Rivalti. Uh, Brian Scott, Tim Shaw is the name yeah, I was trying to come up go. with. Tim Shaw, major. <laughs> I forget what what exactly it was that ended his career, but it was a major injury. So, yeah, yeah, not exactly linebacker you anymore. But Michael Parsons this year looks like you know could be a top five pick if everything goes right. I think I think they're saying he's one of the best linebacking uh, prospects in a long time, which is interesting. You know, he was in that class with. He and Justin Fields were the first two people to commit to Penn State in that class. Both of them decommit. Parsons stays, Field goes, Fields goes, and uh, you know, if, if only. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, we we live to we live to screw up early commits. It's great. Yeah, and you know, Fields would have been God the, the biggest commit since Hackenberg, I guess. Who people forget was a you know the number one quarterback prospect in the country. Yeah, Hackenberg was a huge deal and had successful successful beginning of his career at Penn State and just faded. Comparatively successful. Sure, and then just, just faded into sort of oblivion despite getting drafted, playing for the Jets, and now apparently trying to become a major league pitcher. Hey, what can you do? I, you know, I, I always gave Hackenberg credit for sticking around because that was during the whole scandal. Oh, yeah. And he, there's a, there's an argument to be made that Hackenberg and the tight end Adam Brenneman, two major prospects who stuck around, are a big part of the reason Penn State football is where it is right now. The thing about him is like, I just never got it. I, I you, we, t- you say success early on, but even that freshman year, which people point to and said, oh, he was good then, fifty-eight point nine percent completion percentage, twenty touchdowns to ten interceptions, just still pretty mediocre. I think it helped that the team didn't plummet into oblivion. That's true. Uh, I think I've still, said they were still relevant. Like, yeah, I think I said oblivion now like four times on the podcast <laughs> in like 25 minutes. But um, it's they, they didn't go like 1-11. They, you know, yeah. they – I don't even remember what their record was for, for that first year. But it wasn't – 75. It, it wasn't, 
Yeah, seven and five going through the situation that they were currently uh, sort of embroiled in. I think that 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 kind of worked out. You know what I mean? It kept everybody's yeah. confidence in in him a little bit higher. It certainly helped. They had uh, that was the Zach Swinek year at running back, but at receiver. That was the Allen Robinson year, and that that certainly helps a young quarterback succeed. <laughs> for sure, for sure, a guy with a guy with Robinson's talent can make almost anybody look good. All Allen Robinson did in 2013 was 97 catches for 1,432 yards. So that's it's it's chump change, Chris. What are you talking about? Something of a focal point on that offense, I would say. <laughs> um, so look, I ask you every week. Where is your attitude towards the return of sports right now? I think I think that I think that sports are gonna just barrel through. I don't think they really care. I think that they have these plans in place, and regardless if the rest of Florida's burning down, um, that good. the NBA that the NBA is gonna stick to their guns and they're gonna they're gonna get there. They're gonna get everybody in their bubble and they're just gonna deal with it. And and, and they're fighting through positive cases right now. I know. Um, baseball's had a couple different incidents uh, over the past couple days, but I think these leagues are just going to power through and, and we're going to get some semblance of sports back, even if it looks like five-on-five five men's league at the Plymouth Community Center uh, on our TV. Hey, uh, I hear refs can make 30 bucks for those games. Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. What a bizarre – what a just – this is the short-sightedness of people. When I read that email – I couldn't like I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So I you want me to to ref and I hold have on. Let's to... let's give some backstory here. And the, sure, you you and I are we're we're prone to fall off into incoherent digressions. But Good this call. is at least this is at least sports related with what's going on. As as any listener of the show knows, Greg is a a basketball official. I'm moonlight and... as an official. Yeah, but well, are you or are you not a basketball official? Yes or no? I, I am. I am. Thank you. My rest, my case. <laughs> and uh, and now Pennsylvania is one of the couple of states that I think it was one of 13 states the last time I looked where cases are dropping day by day. I, mean, I haven't seen that in a while, but dropping day by day. Stuff is reopening and uh, sports are coming back at the at the recreational level. AAU, youth basketball, stuff like that. And now Gregory faces the question of, is it worth it? Is, uh, is, is the compensation worth the risk? And uh, where do you stand on that? The compensation is barely worth the risk uh, without a pandemic-level disease <laughs> floating uh, around. Um, it's, just, it's just hilarious to, 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 to talk about, like, here's the precautions we're going to take. Sign a waiver. Yeah, you can't use a real whistle. You have to click. You have to have a whistle that you, you squeeze your hand, and that's how you make the call. Um, it's just, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So I can't blow into a whistle that only goes in my mouth, but I can certainly have kids yell at me, coaches and fans all yell at me, all in mm-hmm. a very sort of confined space. And also, let's let's be honest, touch a basketball right a hundred and fifty times a game, like. It's just weird. It's just weird, weird push to get everything back like nothing's happened. Yeah, um, and that's going to get take, that's going to get you guys out of the black and back into the red for new cases. It's 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 it, like you can take all the precautions you want. This is not this is not something that I think is a hundred percent necessary. It just isn't. So it's not, I'll do it's not my one percent necessary. Yeah, I'll do my own personal thing and and forego the the. You're opting monetary out. Monetary compensation. Yeah, I am. I am opting out of the uh, <laughs> whatever this league is bubble uh, to to ref in. It's crazy. If you know, if your girls were a little bit older, is there any way that you would let them play sports right now? I don't think so. I don't think I could. And that's a tough decision to make because you're talking about you know whatever the effects are and, and who's most deeply affected by it. There's still, there's still too many, still too many unknowns uh, for me to be like, yeah, you know what? Go back to just playing and doing everything as normal as possible. I don't think that's the best way to handle um, a lot of this. So f- to see that two weeks after the state kind of really opens back up in a, in a 
you know, a more limited capacity, but there's a little more freedoms that, that there's basketball tournaments going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know, like, where are these teams coming from? Are they all Pennsylvania teams, or are they coming from other states? Is it AAU? Like, it's just, if it's AAU, yeah, what are it. we doing? Like, what yeah. are we doing? Just it, it's so the, not it's, necessary. It's so the same risky. argument I had with, with shutting down liquor stores in Pennsylvania for a majority of the quarantine. You force you force people to cross state lines to go other places to get liquor. It, mm. Bizarre. Bizarre, bizarre stuff. And and this is one of those contributing things where you're just like, nah, we're we're in here until they, they say, Hey, come take this shot and you're good to go. That's that's pretty much what this is. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh we talked about everything going bad in Florida. We'll say yesterday it was down from almost ten thousand new cases a couple of days ago to fifty two hundred. Today there's already been over six thousand new cases in Florida. It's scary, and uh, it, I think we're we're starting to see a little blowback from some of the NBA players who are thinking, "Hey, maybe this is not such a good idea." Uh, you know, our, our own Ben Simmons uh, retweeted a tweet or liked a tweet yesterday saying that we should postpone basketball a little bit further. It's tough for me to argue with that, even though that I don't want that. I just, you know, for as as solid a plan as the Disney bubble is, and it's a good plan by by you know the respects of everything else we have, it's still anything but foolproof. And it's somebody's going to sneak somebody in, somebody's going to get sick, and you know coronavirus is gonna be there. It's just a matter of how bad it is. We've already had what, Trevor Ariza opted out, Avery Bradley mm-hmm. opted out. Uh, Davis Bertans opted out and then got into a magical fight on Twitter about it. Uh, Willie Colley Stein opted out. Wilson Chandler opted out. DeAndre Jordan opted out. Uh, a lot of nets. And it looks like uh, Spencer Dinwiddie also tested positive and could be opting out. He's mulling out. it over. Yeah. So I would be kind of surprised if Dinwiddie played. But at the same time, there's not a lot of nets left to play basketball right now. And they're the seven seed. So good news for, I guess, good news for the Washington Wizards, but the Wizards also lose Bertans. This is, it's really just good news for whoever plays the Nets in the first round, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say either way who's, you know, what the right decision is, but I think if you, they're going to try to keep it as safe as possible. I mean, these guys are all testing positive. They're out in the real world, and you don't yeah. know – what they're doing. You don't know how how cautious they've been. I mean, so like to say somebody's getting it, um, it's hard for me to just be like, wow, we'll shut it all down. Cause you don't know, you, you right. really don't know. You don't know who they're seeing. You don't know. Is everybody ve- being as cautious as Von Miller who said he only went out of his house three times and got it in, in Denver or are people out there partying or not, not necessarily all partying or, or gathering in bigger groups or going to church or going to, to any other type of service. It's not it's not always just partying. That's not yeah. really the point. No, I understand. Um, but but so so you really it's in the the situation the NBA's in, if guys are all forced to quarantine in this bubble, uh, I think you're you run a little bit less of a risk when you're actually out there playing. Well, and did we mention that it was funny because the Nets were originally supposed to be one of the teams that was going to Florida and quarantining in the bubble. But then they that got pulled late. They ended up going to their training facility, which got shut down pretty quickly because of positive tests. They're just now reopening today as the Nuggets are shutting down because of positive tests. Should have ever, Everybody should have just went to the bubble. Go yeah. to the bubble. Look at the bubble. Be the bubble. That's, just, that's yeah, kind s- of what we're at sit here. Sit in your hotel room for a couple of weeks. It's, you know... There are worse things in the world. Look, I know it's inconvenient, but there are worse things in the world than sitting in a luxury suite for a couple of weeks while you find out whether or not you're sick. Yeah, there really is. There's a lot worse. Um, I mean, selfishly, it's like, all right, like let's just we'll get through this. We'll get through this wave, and let's get basketball going. It's going to be awesome, hopefully. Um, and mm-hmm. then, but there always is that part of you where it's like. If, if one one person with long lingering effects from this is a serious problem, sure for everyone. Well, Gobert still doesn't have his all of his smelling back. Yeah, that's a problem. But I'm talking more like all of your smelling is different than 
you know, uh, long capacity, long functionality. You know what I mean? But we don't know the long functionality stuff yet. That's that's the thing. That could very well be in place as well. We just don't have the proper testing to show that yet. And, you know, with Gobert, I would argue that getting sick three and a half months ago and still not being able to smell is a pretty damn big problem. It's not great. (laughs) The optics there are not great. Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. I I, want to remain as confident as possible. Uh, But then I see things like Major League Baseball is going to ban spitting and seeds and gum. And and it's like it's like it's 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 the same reaction I had to when I read the hockey proposal where guys couldn't spit on the ice or they couldn't fight. Or they couldn't scrum. Like these are natural instincts for mm, guys right. who have played this sport for. In in some cases, you're talking about guys who have been playing hockey for half, if not more than a half of their life. Three quarters of their life has been spent playing hockey or playing baseball, and you're not going to break that routine just because you say there's a rule against it. It's just not going to happen. From a uh, 76ers perspective, how do you feel about the the pseudo like free agent trade that the Sixers and the Mavericks pulled off where Trey Burke, former Sixer, goes and signs with Dallas and former Dallas Maverick Ryan Brokoff signs with Philadelphia? Chris, I don't know who Ryan Brokoff is. Dude, I'm hyped um, about Ryan Brokoff. I like Ryan Brokoff. Brokoff went, went off on us for 15 uh, early in the <laughs> season in a game against Dallas. Well, he, 40% shooter, you know, 6'6 six, six guard from Australia. He's never going to be, you know, he's never going to be like, I don't know. He's not He's not Joe Harris. But I could see him getting hot and having like a Marco Bellinelli-ish effect uh, for, for the team. And I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around past this year because there's a lot of free agents, uh, including Alec Burks and, and Glenn Robinson III, who we, you know, traded for. I want to say just recently, but it was like five months ago now. I, uh... It's funny when you say Marco Bellinelli effect. I immediately thought he's going to shoot a two when we're down by two instead of shooting a three for the win. Um, Marco made some of the toughest shots I've ever seen a seventy six or me. I'm he- not saying you didn't make the shot. I'm just saying know the situation. No. <laughs> um, it's yeah. I mean, listen. <laughs> the, the the issue there is more the guy that fired the confetti cannon without knowing the game was over uh, or not. Mm. That's who I blame in that situation. But I digress. Um, I mean, anytime we can add shooting uh, from an outside perspective, that's fine. Uh, it's also funny that every time Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third sign in or, or not sign in, uh, check in in NBA 2K when I am the Sixers, I completely go. I, every time I go. Oh yeah, we traded for Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks. They're on the Sixers now. Mm-hmm. I do that every single time for another Just, twenty games or so. Well, yeah, and they because they only played what they they couldn't have played more than like six games with the Sixers. Um, I think it was more than that, but I don't think it was significantly more than that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna look those numbers up now. I guess they played talking. they played they played enough for Glenn Robinson to complain about his playing time. So yeah. maybe maybe it is a little bit more than that. Well, I the one thing I will say in his defense is that Brett Brown's rotations are amongst the most confusing in all of sports. Huh. It's almost like you would think Brett Brown's not a good head coach. I'm not saying he's not a good head coach, but <laughs> it's Oh, and here you go. 35 minutes ago ESPN uh sends an update that from Adam Silver that says COVID could stop the league. Oh, good. That's fun. Uh, Adam Silver remains, quote, pretty confident about the NBA's plan to safely resume play, but admits spread of the virus is a concern. And uh, Glenn Robinson III played 12 games in Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah, 12 games. 12 games, I guess, is enough to complain about your your rotation spot. Uh, It is weird. When do we admit that? that, So, Brett Brown, not great at rotations, not great at end-of-game situations, not great at calling timeouts when he needs to. Like I mean, he's eventually. Okay. I, I will let you take shots where where they're warranted. He's gotten exponentially better with timeout usage. I agree on the other fine. thing. So completely. all right, I'll, I'll I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But there are there are still some some concerning things with the with what he does. Uh, Who would be your alternative? What what move would you make? Because I, I do think, especially if this is you know there's a poor showing over these last eight games and and in the playoffs. That there's a chance the Sixers move on from Brett Brown. Is there someone in you would have in mind who you really like? No, I don't have anybody really in particular. I don't have any candidates specifically. And and 
But because I, I know what happens I, at the NBA, it becomes a retread. You'll end up with like Tom Thibodeau or somebody. It, well, you know, for for everyone's I sake, know. let's hope it's not Thibodeau, who <laughs> who I think is probably going to be the next coach. By the way, but yeah. you know, you know like who's Fred, the guy that just got fired? Fred Hoiberg or somebody like that. Who, yeah, who's the guy that just got fired from the Knicks? Uh, uh, Tis- oh yeah, no, Tisdale. He's not, yeah, I, he's not a bad coach. Or Fisdale, that, Fisdale, David Fisdale. Yeah, not Wayman Tisdale. Yeah, but. I, well, I, Fisdale's not a bad coach. I mean, I had he's had two crap teams. Exactly right. And the problem is, it seems like he only gets these bad team opportunities. He's not the guy that ever gets the 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 opening for a good team. Well, um, you know, and you know who you know the one name who is going to be mentioned more than anybody else if Brett Brown is fired, and it would be disastrous for you know two Philadelphia sports teams. I mean, Chris, I don't think Iverson's interested in coaching. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm, I'm interested to see how that would go. But as sarcastic I, or not, we both know I'm talking about Jay Wright. Yeah, I know. And they would, they would do everything in their power to try and get him to go. And honestly, I don't think he'd go. I don't think he would do it. No, I really he's don't. A le- he is a god at Villanova. He's yeah. just a god. And people, like, we've, we take him for granted. This is a guy... Who takes a ten thousand ten thousand undergraduate university to two NCAA championships over the last yeah. four years? Like that's crazy. He is he's a phenomenal coach, and now has finally reached the pinnacle to the point where you're you're a job for life status. Oh, for Villanova. sure. Like you, there is you There's, you get to you'll decide have a when statue someday. Yeah. Uh, you get to decide when you leave if you're Jay Wright. And uh, the Sixers opportunity, as good as, the, as as much talent as the Sixers have, I don't think that's the. I don't think there's any NBA move that makes any sense. To be perfectly honest, right. and and especially this uh, year, like last year, I can kind of understand it because it's sort of a rebuilding year for Villanova. But this year, most places have Villanova as the number one uh, the number one seed in preseason rankings. So, and justifiably. So this is going to be this could be another kind of coronationy year for yeah. Jay. I don't I don't think this is the year to bolt. But I, you know I really like Chris Beard. I think Chris Beard's a great coach. But I don't know. I wonder if force if this team you know especially especially Simmons and Embiid need a big name who has actually succeeded in the NFL in the NFL in the NBA uh, to get them to listen and pay attention and buy in. I think they need something. I think it's, they need something a little bit more hands-on. I think we've gotten we've gotten sort of away from that. We kind of allow everyone to sort of do their own thing, and it, it hasn't it hasn't given us the success I think that's hoped for uh, from this process era Sixers. You know what I mean? So we going back to Larry Brown? <laughs> Larry Brown? Yeah. I mean, isn't he like? 85 years old coaching he was coaching smu i don't think he does anymore no i think um, he's he he's coaching internationally now yeah i mean hey basketball lifer that's that's all good old lb the most successful sixers coach in the last 20 years oh my god i will and some of the most boring offenses the teams were always among the lowest uh, in the nba in turnovers because he has Allen iverson and they just walk the ball up court Every That's single it. play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at the uh, best available head coaches right now on lists on on Medium.com. Who I you know I go to Medium all the time for my sports information. Um, in no particular order: Tom Thibodeau, Kenny Atkinson, Fizdale, Jason Kidd. No, thank you. Tim Duncan. That's interesting, but he's proven nothing. Becky Hammond. That's interesting, but I don't know if this is the team for that experiment. And uh, you have the Van Gundys, the Dave Yorgers, the Mark Jacksons, Pablo Priglione, and the other name who is going to be a head coach sooner or later in the NBA is Jerry Stackhouse. Hmm. I don't think Stack's the guy for this job, but I do find that interesting. Uh, it is. It is funny. How many years does Jeff Van Gundy have to be on the in the booth for people to finally stop putting him on the? Uh, coaches that are out there list well it seems like, like he gets interviews though so i don't know that he's not interested in it where's the last place that jeff van gundy interviewed i'm gonna look it up right now how do you feel I, about the, how do you feel about the other san antonio coaches though 
I, I mean, Duncan sure would be interesting because you talk about him being able to bring in him, him being able to bring his expertise in the post and, and things like that. Uh, and really sort of obviously, you know, that success and, and that championship attitude is, is you can't teach that from a coaching standpoint. He's a guy who knows what the players are battling through, knows what they're out there facing. And it's not like Duncan is 20 years removed from his playing career. He's, what, three or four years removed? It's, mm-hmm. It hasn't been that long, four years probably, as you forget about the Cavs, uh, Cavs, Golden State, back and forth finals and stuff like that. So I guess it's been a little bit longer than, than, than I'm thinking. But it would be interesting to see with that attitude coming in um, and and where where he goes from there. Yeah. Like if he, if he could really help with – Embiid, and if he could help with just the overall chemistry of the team. And, Which, and by the way, the, Tobias Harris basically said isn't good in an interview this week. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, it Tobias was, Harris is one of the best people in the NBA. If he's saying, hey, yeah, I don't know, there's yeah. something to be worried about. Uh, for the record, the last inter- the actual interview that I can find from Jeff Van Gundy was in 2015 when he interviewed with the Pelicans. However, in, on May 12th of this year, he said that he is open to coaching under the right circumstances. Oh, well, thank God. Thank God, thank God Jeff and Gunny's open to it. So, I mean, he hasn't coached the NBA in 13 years. Is that When's true? The time, yeah, his last, the last year he coached was the Houston Rockets in 2007. Like, it's, it's not like it was we, – we remember it more fondly because of our age and the time frame and when he was really popular with the Knicks and, and, and moving on to Houston. But wow. it's – I mean, this is – you're talking about a guy who was, has, not, has not ran a team and has, has basically strictly been on an NBA broadcast for the better part of a, over a, or almost a decade and a half now. I think I, it I helps that he went out on a high like he did because Houston won 52 games that year. Yeah. I think that does help. I think it helps a lot, actually. <laughs> you don't get remembered as sort of somebody who peters out and, and just kind of fades into the sunset with a bad record, and now you're now you're standing next to Mark Jackson and Dave Pasha every weekend. Uh, well, look, uh, you know, when I, I – I've mentioned this before, but I talked to to uh, former NBA um, m- most improved player Isaac Austin on uh, Tales from the Association, and, and Ike said that he was looking to buy the Nets – and then he was going to make Mark Jackson his coach, and Kenny uh, Kenny Smith was going to be his general manager, and then I could work for Kenny Smith. So I mean, that's fine. S- I, still rooting, I would, on, I'd, rooting for that. I'd have to assume there's a position in the cabinet uh, for me, so I'm, I'm good with that. Not sure what kind of power I have just yet in this hypothetical situation, but uh, once Kenny falls on his face, I, I would like to think that I'd be the, the successor as general manager, and at that point, yeah, I'll get you a job. I mean, assistant GM sounds good. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that that I need that to be the initial yeah. job. But as if I could work my way up to it, I'll start in the locker room and just work my way up to assistant GM. That's how it works. All right. All right. I mean, that's that seems totally fair to me. I say we move <laughs> move forward with that being the plan. I've already We're, signed the contracts. Wow. That is. Congrats. Um, <laughs> all right. So last thing I want to hit on before we get out of here the. The NBA isn't the only sport that's had some players opt out. Major League Baseball has seen quite a few over the last couple of days. Mike Leak, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross, Ian Desmond, and uh, Desmond penned a really articulate letter that's worth reading for you know anyone who's wondering what's going on in the, the minds of athletes right now. How concerned should we be about baseball? I mean, we should. Uh, I still think baseball goes... Um... Despite the, despite the amount of guys that have pulled out, and I don't blame people for pulling out. No, like, not at all. It's it's one hundred percent a personal choice, and and you just kind of hope that there's no um, retaliation uh, in the future, which would be seriously illegal. But we see people skate with stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Um. So it, but I mean, I think I think that there's so many guys in baseball's organizations and things like that that. It's a calculated risk on on both ends. It's a calculated risk on the team's ends to play these games and you know think about player safety and, and and all that sort of stuff. And then it's a calculated risk on on a on the the players end who's not going to play. I mean, obviously you you think safety and family first. That's fine, but the the name Wally Pip 
is around for a reason, and baseball is one of those sports that that you could see that happen. And it would be very unfortunate if if this situation that the you know the world's going through led to situations like that where guys lose jobs because they set out and that their understudy in these cases outperformed. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's going to be really hard. It's not really a Wally Pip, Lou Gehrig situation as much as you know they're playing a sixty-game season. Every number is going to be taken with a giant grain of salt, regardless oh, yeah. of good or bad. No question. You know, three of these names are kind of similar, and then one's not like the other. You have Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, and Ian Desmond are guys who have all made a ton of money playing baseball. You know, Desmond is getting closer to the end. Zimmerman, he says he's not retiring, but honestly, he may have played baseball for the last time at this point. Joe Ross is interesting, though. Ross is 27. He was going to be Washington's number five starter this year. And the big issue is that by sitting out, he's losing the 67 days of service time. And now he won't be a free agent until after the 2022 season. So it ends up being a pretty good deal for the Nationals, who are now going to have a back-of-the-rotation starter on a very cheap deal for another two years. It's a calculated risk. He trusts his talent. He trusted, trusts that he's going he's gonna to be able to continue you know, being a successful and productive major league pitcher after all of this. And, I mean, guys bet on themselves all the time. And obviously... It's usually in a little bit of a different situation, yeah. uh, but that's a firm that's a firm bet on yourself. Like, listen, I'll forego this, and and I'll have to sort of grin and bear it from a financial standpoint for an extra year. Uh, but if if it saves me from getting sick or or whatever in the short run, uh, it, it's gonna be worth it to him. And I, I can't. I, I'm never gonna fault. I'm never going to fault a player for 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 not playing. If it was on my team, if it was on yeah. you know on any of the teams that I root for, uh, you know I'm here to be a fan. Um, I'm not here to you know I'm not here to expect you to just go out there and entertain me regardless of the situation. I think that people that do that and and put players in those types of you know, views and, and they see it more as like, go out and do your job. And I don't care if you get like that kind of, that kind yeah, of attitude. It's, it's selfish. It's, it's how it, we exactly. look at the people in the grocery store and it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Like, and, you don't, and that's, you don't matter. You're here to serve me in some way. Like I remember real early on Zach Wheeler making a comment about his wife being pregnant, yada, yada, yada. And like you saw a negative reaction to that and you're kind of like, um, I'd probably do the exact same thing. Like, I don't know. I don't really see a downside into what he's saying outside yeah. of the fact that he, he won't be, he, he, he may not play whatever this shortened weird year is. And you know what, man? I think most people, if you're in that situation, if it's your first kid or whatever it is, you'd probably make that same decision regardless of what you say now. Speaking of kids, I think the alarm is going off. So it's uh, might as well wrap the show up here. <laughs> Uh, as we've uh, come to our natural end. So for this week's episode of You're Wrong and Here's Why, I've been Chris Horwardell, he's been Greg Crone. We thank you for listening, and we hope things go smoother next week. See you then.